please stand for the reading of God's word. John 16, 7 through 15. But very truly I tell you, it is not for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will provide the world to be in wrong and sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of the truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive, that he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive this, will receive from me what he will make known to you. May God, may God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. I was joking with Earl that I think that this week that I think that I need to get a, um, a large print Bible because during, during messages I frequently do this. And then I, I frequently mix up words. Maybe I should just have these ladies just read the Bible for me when we get in there. So a um, couple of things before we get going. First, I've started making my list. The first on my list is me um, for Sunday school. And I think this morning in our membership class, we decided that my Sunday school class would be called Tangents because that's all we ever do is we go off on tangents. Um, and number two, I put Hilda on here because she brings cookies to her class, and I'm going to try and steal her from Earl's class. Hilda, what do you say? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, we are going to be taking another offering after the message time today. Uh, it's for um, the church in Indiana that uh, was not all the way destroyed, but a, a section of it just was destroyed, and this church is really helping the community. So their resources are being tapped because they're feeding and housing and helping um, a community, and they have a building issue to work through. So we're going to be taking a special offering for them and sending that out um, today after the message time. Um, one, two, I'm trying to think of all the special announcements I have. Aren't we thankful to have Scott and, and, uh, and the, the worship team with us today? Absolutely. Hey, great. We, Lindy, and, Lindy and Lupi are in Turkey today, and they'll be... Uh, Next week, my brother's coming back, and then, um, and then uh, after that, uh, Lindy will be back with us through the Easter season. But uh, it, it's, it's been fun to have uh, these guys uh, with us during this time. So, oh yeah, number four, um, Ray Wells. If you would like to send cards and you don't have a card address or anything like that, you can send them to San Dimas Wesley. And I spoke with Pastor Tim this morning um, about Ray uh, I was the fill-in guy for Tim before I had a regular gig here Sunday mornings, and um, I, uh, I got to know Ray real well over there, and he told me about a lot of history here at this church uh, because he'd been part of this church for such a long time. So if you would like to send cards, you can send them, and as soon as we know about services, we'll be putting that out in an email uh, to you guys so that you know to attend that, that service. So let's get right into it. Every now and then... Um, 
we, we do something and we, we do a, like a teaching. And this last week we, we taught on this phrase, I am the vine. That was the last Sunday. And many people felt moved by the Spirit during this conversation, during this, this time of teaching that we had. And people came up to me. And, and you know that it's a Spirit-led moment um, when you leave the building and somebody said, Pastor, when you said this, it just so struck a chord with me. And I never even said that. That is the Spirit talking to people. And last week that happened in a powerful way. And I'm just so glad that I was able to get out of the way enough for God to speak to his people. And that is the, that is the prayer every single time I come before you is that, God, you speak. Don't let me speak. You speak. And God, may your word speak for itself. And so um, last week, thank you for being open. The Holy Spirit has spoken. And it is just a wonderful thing. And the funny thing is, I walked out of here and Des said, how'd it go? And frequently I say, amazing standing ovation, which never happens, but I'm just joking with her because that's the way I wish how it went. Um, and, and I said, ah, it was okay, mediocre at best. And, and just the response, it wasn't me. It's not me. You guys aren't responding to me. You're responding to the Holy Spirit. And that is a healthy, wonderful thing when that happens in a church. And that is the way God wants to speak to each one of us. I actually believe, and I was we have a little committee that, that looks over messages and teaching and, and direction and scope and sequence of what we teach. Um, so this is all strategic. We don't um, teach just in random bits. You, you notice I do series and, and because each one builds on each other. And I actually have a plan for us to learn for the whole year. Aren't you excited for that? Um, <laughs> it makes me super excited. But the, I believe that this time is one of the most important works of the Holy Spirit that happens in the modern church. The Holy Spirit is time to, to speak to you, and, and I, just, I just love that. So last week we dug into, we finished this series of, of I Am, and we looked at all the different I Am statements that Jesus made, and, and we looked at the statement, I am the true vine, and we had a cell phone over on this side of the stage, and, and we talked about how sometimes we operate like a cell phone. Um, we're plugged into the vine and then we leave and we unplug and we operate on our batteries for a while and then we go, oh man, I, I'm running low, I really need to be filled up and so we go back to our source of power and we plug in. And then other times we act like, over here we had a lamp and other times we act like this lamp and it, the lamp is actually a really good healthy thing. You can only go so far before you don't work like you're intended to work. You, you have to be plugged into your source of power in order to operate like you were designed. And that's what we looked at last week. And, and Jesus said, if you ab just abide in me or remain in me, in other words, I am your source of power, remain in me. And, and we really, you probably didn't realize it, but we only hit on half of his statement last week. And so today I was planning on hitting on the second half. The first half is remain in me. And, and it's basically be plugged into your source of power, get into the Word, get into a Bible study, get into um, accountability groups, um, different Sunday school classes, all these different things. Remain in God. Proximity matters. Stay close to Jesus. That's what a true disciple does, is that they stay close to Jesus. Don't, don't fall into the trap of, I'm busy, I go here, I need to charge my batteries. In other words, stay connected to Jesus all throughout your day. And oftentimes we fall into the cell phone trap, the remain in me part. 
We covered that last week. Stay close to your source of power. Get connected in Bible studies. Get in accountability. Pray and read the Bible as a family. Fellowship. Come to church regularly. There's a lot of different things. Give on a regular basis. This is all part of staying connected to the vine. Worship God. Staying connected to the vine. The second part of what Jesus says. He says, if a man remains in me, in other words, stays connected to the... And I'm standing on this side of the stage because this is where the lamp is. And for me, I segment things in my brain. So know that when I'm standing over here, I'm imagining that there's a lamp here. Um, if, and yes, do you see the whiteboard? I'm going to draw today. It's going to sell on eBay for millions, I expect. <laughs> Anyways. Stay, if you stay connected to me, Jesus said, remain in me. And then he said, and I in you. And if, I'm, if I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. So the first half is remain in me. Stay connected to your source of power. And we talked about last week what that looks like. And this week, we're going to look at the second half of his phrase here. And I in you. So the ha- second half of this is something that's way beyond our control. We can't lasso Jesus down and and bring him into our lives and say, okay, you're you're with me, buddy, and treat him like a puppet or anything like that. That's not the way it works. The way it works is that when we confess with our mouths, when we believe in our heart, when we repent and turn from our sin, Jesus wants to dwell powerfully within us. That's the Holy Spirit. Some, Some churches believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, and, and the Bible's Amazing, but it's not God. It's God revealed to us. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And, and eternally, three, and you always get in trouble when you talk about the Trinity, because I, Holland's probably taking notes, he's about to say heresy, because any analogy for the Trinity eventually ends up a heresy, because it's one of the things we cannot understand. The egg thing doesn't fully grasp it, the, the, it doesn't, you can't really fully grasp it, but all three separate persons, but eternally one. That's what we believe at this church. And we believe that the Holy Spirit dwells powerfully within us. And when he does, we can bear much fruit. And what does that look like in our lives? What would it look like right now for you to say, what would fruit look like in my life? How, how, would, how, would, uh, how would my life look if there was fruit? How did it look before there was fruit? I mean, practically ask yourself that question. Write down the answers. Jesus doesn't want you to just be a good person. And I think sometimes we get caught into that trap when we come to church. We're like, I need to be a better person, so I'm going to go to church. And that's great. I think you should be better people. I think you should tip better. I think you should um, come and wash the church and clean up. And I think you should be kind to your neighbor. I think you should be all of that stuff. Absolutely. That, that's great. But he doesn't just want you to be a good person. He wants to dwell powerfully within your life so that your life totally and utterly transforms so that you are a witness in everything you do. Think about a witness. They, they go to court. They testify to something. I saw this. And the court goes, well, hey, the witness saw it, so it must be true. Right? And then they make a decision based on the witness. Now, that's exactly what God is calling you to be witnesses of this, that Jesus dwells powerfully within you, and you're a witness to that. So when we acknowledge him as Savior, at that moment, somehow, mystically, God enters our lives in a more powerful way 
than just going to church. The way we remain connected to the vine is that Jesus dwells within us, and we have to acknowledge his presence every moment of every his presence every moment of every day. That's how we stay connected to the vine. And like I said, sometimes we treat it like here's the source of power. We're just going to put this over here. We're going to come back to it. We're like, oh man, I need to get filled up. So I'm going to read this one verse. Okay, I'm filled up again. And then we go on without our day. But I don't think God wants us treating him that way. I mean, husbands, would your wife like that? Wives, would you like that? I know that I'm loved, so I'm going to say I love you when I leave and kiss you on the cheek and that's it. Would that fly? Not in my house. I'm saying with me. She needs to whisper sweet nothings into my ear. So let's, let's read again, although the ladies did a beautiful job. I just like to sometimes slow down and read uh, the scriptures because it's so powerful. You could read it a number of times. Here it is. I was looking for this this morning, my sweet 15. Anybody else a Starbucks Gold member? I am. Gold card in my name. That fell out of my Bible. I was looking for that for my free coffee, but okay. John 16, starting in verse 17. I'm sorry, starting in verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is for your own good that I'm going away to you. So he's telling the disciples, I'm leaving you and it's for your own good. And in a discipling culture, you can't understand that. Because in a discipling culture, what you really are is a learner. And how can you go, how can your teacher leave if you're a learner? That just doesn't operate. It doesn't work. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So when Jesus goes, he sends us something else. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. In regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear, but... When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and what he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to the Spirit, why that, is, why, that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I love that because John 15 talks about the vine and branches remaining connected, abiding in the vine. And then he talks to his disciples about staying connected to him, the rest of that, that chapter. And then in the next breath, he talks about how he will stay connected to them. He, he breaks it up in the same way that we're breaking it up in these last two weeks. Remain in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. And today we're talking about Jesus remaining in us. So first, John 16 does a really good job of showing us the function of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, and it's primarily to convict us of sin. Have you ever been in church and you're like, man, that preacher was just saying exactly what's going on in my life. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you, saying, dude, clean this up. That's not me. And I've heard that over and over and over again after, after I preach or something like that, that people say, man, I just felt like he was talking to me. That is not me 
whatsoever. I don't spy on you, although sometimes through Facebook. Um, I do. Anyways, I don't spy on you. I don't pretend to know um, any, like everything that happens. I, I like to think we know each other pretty well, but I don't know all that happens in your lives, and so there's no possible way I could be speaking directly to you. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin. And next, he guides. He guides us in greater truth. And, and he leads us. And sometimes you get up and you come to church and, and you know you need to. And, and, and you don't even know why you came. Or you go into a relationship or you go to meet somebody who's a Christian. And, and you begin speaking with them and you don't even know why you did it. The Holy Spirit guided you to that conversation. And your life has changed. I mean, you know it because you've lived it. And, and, and thirdly, the Holy Spirit bears fruit. Helps us to bear fruit. Helps us to overcome sin and to bear fruit. And the John 16 called it righteousness. And would you believe it? God made plans for this since the very beginning of time. Since the very beginning of Scripture, God made plans for this. So in the beginning, when the New Testament was written, the world was ruled by monarchy. Monarchy, every nation had a monarchy. And, and the king and the queen were in charge, usually just the king. And, and what would happen was this. Each king had their own kingdom. Each king usually saw themselves as some form of God incarnate. And we actually get the word incarnate from Egypt thousands of years before um, the incarnate, incarnation or, or God becoming human on earth. We get that word from thousands of years before that. So these kings were more than just kings. They were gods. And their, Pharaoh was like this, and most other kings during the time saw themselves as gods. And to remind themselves, to remind the people whom they governed, who they're supposed to show allegiance to, they put up giant statues of themselves around town. They cut coins and they stamped their face on it. And so everybody had to carry around these little images of their gods. And they, they had him looking at these images. I mean, and we even see the biblical story of Nebuchadnezzar, a statue 90 feet tall, and everybody had to worship the image or, or be thrown into the furnace. Now, although that was quite a bit of time after the period I'm talking about, this was quite common practice. But when God created the world from the very beginning, Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. God as king, to remind us of who we worship, divinely put his image within us. So just as kings have been trying to get worship and conjure up worship for, for years and generations, God simply did it in one step. He put his image within us so that we have it. God didn't need to do brutal campaigns, coin statues. In fact, there are commandments not to make an image of God and worship it. God simply put his image within us as a reminder that we worship a deeply personal God. A God that is so personal and, and so part of our humanity that he put his image within us. A God who loves us and, and I would argue absolutely wants to be part of our lives because he put his image on us. There's a lot there. But his image alone doesn't cause us to bear fruit. There's people who bear the image of God who bear no fruit in their lives. But his image alone, like I said, doesn't cause us to that. So 
as we go on this tiny little journey, flip with me to Numbers chapter 11. Let me explain to you what's happening here. The Israelites are stuck in the desert. The Israelites left Egypt, and God brought them out of Egypt. And wouldn't you know it, people get hungry, right? This happens to me at least three times a day. Um, they get hungry. Thank you for the chuckle. I'm sure, I'm sure it was a, a sympathy chuckle because it was such a terrible joke. So, the Israelites are led out of Egypt. And God gives them manna. And people start going, manna, this stuff is disgusting. At first they were rejoicing. God gave them this miraculous food. And they were rejoicing. They were saying, this is amazing. And then they got sick of it. They ate it day and night, 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 and it got old. So then they started grumbling against the Lord, and that's where we are here, Numbers chapter 11. They're grumbling against the Lord, and they say, Lord, you need to send us some meat to eat. And so God says, all right, send me meat. You complain about my manna. You're going to be eating meat not just for one day, not just for two days, not just for three days, not for a week, but for the rest of the month. You will eat three square meals a day of nothing but quail. You'll eat quail, and it even says, until it comes out of your nostrils. You ever hear, do your parents ever say, you're going to eat that until it comes out of your nose? That's where that phrase comes from, Numbers 11. So, during this time, the people are grumbling, and God, Moses says to God, why did you do this to me? You made me the leader over all these people. You're saying I'm the spiritual leader, and now they're grumbling against me. God, this is a bit unfair. And so God says, okay, great. Take the 70 elders of Israel and bring them here to me. I will put my spirit on them. We're going to see how spirit and image connect in, in a few minutes here. So I will put my spirit on them. And what happens is crazy. For the first time, God's spirit rested on a multitude of people. And then there was these two guys who were in the camp who didn't come. So there's actually 68 people there. And there's two guys who didn't come. And God's spirit rested on them. And they began prophesying in the camp. And, and people were like, Moses, you should do something about this. These people, tell them to stop. And so Moses says this in Numbers 11, uh, verses 29 through 30. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This verse is so key when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because some, some um, especially uh, some Messianic Jewish scholars, so these were Jews who became Christians, um, or cultural Jews that are Christians, um, have, have looked at this verse and said, this is actually this um, foreshadowing of what is to come. And not only is this foreshadowing, but, but Moses was probably prayerfully saying this. And I, I love that, that a couple, uh, quite a few years before the coming of the Holy Spirit, Moses saw this glimpse of what is to come when the Holy Spirit rests on people that fruit is produced in their lives. So I love it. Moses says, don't rebuke these two guys. They have the gift of the Spirit. In fact, I wish everyone had it. Um, I think this is foreshadowing just a little bit. I, I love how God gives people this glimpse of what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes. But what will these 70 elders be doing? They'll be guiding Israel. They'll be convicting people of their sin. And they'll be helping them, they'll be guiding them into righteousness. 
Those are the three things that in John 16 we just looked at that the functions of the Holy Spirit will be doing. Guiding, convicting, leading into righteousness. That's what the function of these elders are going to be doing. They're going to be hearing cases. They're going to be helping people follow God better. And so Moses doesn't have to be so bunkered down with all these cases. That's what they'll be doing. I love it when God does this thousands of years before Christ. Now flip with me over to Exodus, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. So in this passage, Ezekiel is this time of prophecy, of foreshadowing what is to come. And, and um, the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. And so I love this. Verses 26 and 27 say, say this. Um, actually, I'll start at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Huh. So a few hundred years before the coming of Christ, God reveals this to Ezekiel that coming up, I will cleanse you with new water. I will put my spirit within you so that you can follow my decrees. See, before we had all these laws from God. We had the commandments. We had 600, uh, over 600 laws. We had all these guideposts from God. And we couldn't follow them because we didn't have God's spirit guiding us and leading us and helping us through it. And now God is saying, I will put my spirit on you so that you will have the ability to follow my laws. So that you will have the ability to be righteous. So do you see what's happening here? I will sprinkle you with clean water. That was done by the death of Christ. His blood covered us from our sins. And not only that, but with baptism, it symbolically is this. Cleansing you from water. Or cleansing you with water. And And the prophecy here is that God will sprinkle us with water and that we'd be clean. And second, that he would put his spirit within us and make it possible to obey God. What happens when God remains in us? Fruit. Obeying God. We get to obey God better because we have the Holy Spirit within us and we can produce fruit. Now, you can fake it for a lot of times. In fact, you've seen people... I just watched... um, the, the movie, I'm just struggling to remember what it is, but it's the, the Steve Martin movie. Um, I'm looking at Richard because he knows the title. It's on Netflix, the Steve Martin movie. Maybe you've seen it early 90s where he goes around as a faith healer, but he's faking it. Leap of Faith. That's right. I just watched that movie on Netflix. Um, kind of funny movie, but he goes around faking it. And, and in his interactions with people, he's drinking, he's cussing. You know, he's trying to sleep around, and, and he goes around just to make money doing these whole faith healing things, and it, it's actually kind of a funny movie, but he just fakes it, and it's totally obvious. Now, with the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't fake it. God is transforming your heart. It says in Ezekiel, I will put a new heart within you. I'll remove that heart of stone and put my heart within you so that you can't fake it. And sometimes we go around doing that. Where does this all start? This all starts with relationship. This all starts with remaining in God. Do you see how this is something that's been designed from the beginning? 
So many times, as Christians, we go around powerless and defeated. But we have the power of God within us. Sometimes as Christians, we don't even recognize that we have the Holy Spirit that wants to dwell within our lives. Not just here at church, not just when we have an awesome worship set, not just that. That God wants to dwell within us powerfully, even as we walk throughout the doors, even as we go and have interactions in this world. So flip with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and this is where beautiful art will come in to the fold. We have to remain connected to the vine that is learning and growing in God's love. We need to remain connected in learning and growing in God's love. Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, 14. This is a prayer for the people of Ephesus, the church there. And God says, or, I'm sorry, I always say God says, God says, God says. But Paul is the author of this, and Paul wrote this to the uh, people of Ephesus. And what he wrote actually has quite a bit of truth to it. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ, and to know that his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all fullness in God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let me break this prayer down for us a little bit so that we understand it better. One, Paul makes this claim, we're all God's family. We're all under this umbrella of heaven and that we are all part of, we all derive our name from God. In other words, God put his image deeply within us. Do you see the connection? God put his image within us. We are sons and daughters of the king. He is our father. That is the way we're to look at it. We all derive our name from him. Two, out of his glorious riches, our Father's loaded, by the way. Out of his glorious riches, he strengthens you with power through his Spirit. The function of the Holy Spirit. He strengthens us with power. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember, there's an element of belief to this. Verse 18 says, And I pray that you will have this power available to you. But what is this power for? Oh, three times Paul mentions God's power, God's power, God's power, connected to God's spirit, God's spirit, God's spirit. Power, spirit, spirit, power. He mentions these connections over and over and over and over again. But why? I mean, sometimes we look at these verses and we like go, ha ha. And as people, we tend to be power hungry, right? We tend to be, we want to grasp at power and we want to take power for ourselves and we want to hold on to it. But but as people, when we are connected to our source of power, when we're connected to the vine, and when God dwells within us and, and our heart of stone is removed and God's heart is placed within us, guess what? It's not God's power for our purposes. It's his power for his purposes. And like I said last week, when our heart begins to transform, our motives also begin to transform. And so sometimes we want... 
Um, sometimes when we're, when we're branded this, we're like, God, give us your power, but it's really for our own motivations. But God wants his power used for his purposes, to build his kingdom, and that's where this chart comes in. Like I said, I feel like sometimes we as um, Christians go around powerless and defeated, but God has given us this total source of power. And so I, I like to, to think this, and, and there's actually some really great thinkers who, who thought through all this. And, and like I said, if I, I said this to my Sunday school class or to our, our membership class enough times. Um, if I say anything that you guys think is really great, it probably is because probably someone else wrote it. And I just don't remember all the people who I read all the time, and so I don't give you all the sources. But if, if you ask me, mo- most of the stuff I read, I'm reading from other um, people who are way smarter than me. Um, at least I'm, I'm smart enough to read people who are smarter than me. So this, this verse talks about two things, intimacy and power. Intimacy and power. So the first line is intimacy. So if this is just sort of like a regular chart or bar graph or whatever, line graph, the bottom line that goes across here is intimacy. And what people have found in connecting with God is that when you get really intimate with God, when you start going down this road of intimacy, great stuff happens. But it's connected to something else. It's connected um, to, in, in this verse, it's connected to expectations. Sometimes we're here as a church and as a people that we're so intimate and deep with God and we go to so many Bible studies and, and, and we love Jesus. And that's a great thing. It's a great thing to love Jesus. But sometimes we're here and we love Jesus, but we don't expect anything. We don't expect that God's going to change our neighbors. We don't expect that God's going to bring new people into church. We don't expect that, that our world will change around us. We don't expect that the crime rate could drop, that we're going to need to build more space for worship or something like that. We don't expect any of that. We expect our own reality a lot of times. And when you expect nothing, guess what you're going to get? Nothing. But when we have these expectations of God, in, in, in this verse in Ephesians where he says, he, the God who does immeasurably more, the God who has all power, and when we go deep in intimacy with God, we get to reach this place of power. And not for our purposes. This isn't for us. We don't get to harness God's power. I mean, we have this Holy Spirit within us, which is, which is all authority, all power, everything. But it's not for us, necessarily. I mean, yeah, there's the whole conviction of sin, cleaning up our lives, and following, following God's commandments, absolutely. But this power is so that we can be witnesses to the world. Sometimes we go through life, maybe even low intimacy and high expectations. Why would we ever expect God to do stuff if we don't love him. Why would we ever expect that? Are we crazy? Sometimes we do that. We go around connecting into our source of power, connected in, filled up. I'm out here operating on reserve power. And, and, and not to say that those kinds of folks don't love Jesus, because they do. But sometimes they only show it a certain time of the week. <laughs> 
What I'm saying here is when we're connected to our source of power and deeper in our intimacy, I mean, remember this prayer that Paul prayed? The God's Spirit is going to reveal to you just how much He loves you. It's that last song we sing. Oh, how He loves us. That's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, just to reveal that you're a chosen child of the King. That God has branded you with His identity and His image. And that you're His children. And that He's our Father. And that we need to get into these high levels of intimacy and we need to expect that the God who who has glorious riches and can do immeasurably more is going to do some amazing things, not only in this church, but in your own personal lives. That strongholds will be broken, that you'll have victory over things that you just need victory over. I mean, we have to believe that God can do all this. I mean, I do. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And with God's presence in you, that's what happens. One, he reveals to you that you're family and that you're loved. What's the promise of God? Simply this. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how bad you screwed up, I love you. and I'm here. My parents would tell me that. And as I've read through the Old and the New Testament, I've figured out that's what God is. That's what God is saying to each one of us. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you screwed up, no matter what you've said, there's redemption and forgiveness for you. Two, that God wants you to use his power for his purposes. And that when you become a Christian, he places that on you. He says, take it. But I want you to use it for my purposes. And when we go deep in connection and intimacy with God, he will change your motives. If you're thinking, ha ha, I'm going to use God's power to walk on water. You know, God's like, it's not what I want you to do. I want you to, to, to get so deep and intimate with me that you love people so much and that your expectations increase so much that amazing things begin to happen. Now, every now and then you get to the end of a message and you go, gosh, what do I even want these people to do? Here's a couple things. One, I think we need to all dive into deeper intimacy with God. Whether that's your personal life, I mean, like, I, like I've said over and over again, our staff is reading through the one-year Bible together. Um, partly I'm listening and reading uh, because I really like the guy's voice on the Bible app. And it helps me to hear it sometimes. One, we need to dive deeper with God. Maybe that means getting in smaller groups and being discipled. I'm not sure what that means. But we need to dive deeper with God. And if you want to know how to do that, connect with one of the pastors of this church. And then two... God will do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I mean, we think in terms of finite terms. We think in terms of time. And God thinks so much bigger than that. So too, I think we need to raise our expectations of what God is going to do, not only in this place, but in this community and in our world. Raise our expectations and and ask for that. Last week we talked about being connected to the vine and God, once we're so connected to that vine, God wants us to ask for anything we desire. Because God is an intimate, personal God. And two, or three or four, whatever number we're on, maybe, just maybe, you're here and you want this. You're here and you say, I don't know that I have God's Holy Spirit resting on me. And maybe you just simply need to say, God, 
Here I am, a sinner. The most simple prayer in the Bible. Here I am, a sinner. I believe what you've done on the cross. And God, I need you to forgive me. I need to repent from the things that I have done and lead a new life. Repent means to change your mind. Belief not only means to believe, but it's also coupled together with action. So it means change your mind and go a different direction. Maybe that's what you need to do today. And God simply says, when you believe, this is part of becoming a believer. You get the Holy Spirit resting on your life. So as the band begins to come, I want to lead us in prayer today. So maybe for you this morning, you just realize I need to dive deeper into intimacy with God. And I invite you to get connected to one of the pastors on staff here and ask how you could do that. Two, I believe it's totally appropriate to say, Jesus, fill me up. Even though I feel like I've been connected to your vine, I I haven't strayed from my source of power, I still need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's totally appropriate to ask for that. And again, maybe today you need to just repent and ask for forgiveness and ask God to clean up your life. I believe God wants to dwell in you. And I believe God wants to dwell in the clean you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And, and we realize that you could do immeasurably more than we ever ask or could imagine. We realize that you want us to grasp how deep and how wide and how tall your love is for us. And God, that's what your spirit does. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for the hope that comes through that love. Thank you for changed and transformed lives. God, would you drastically change our expectations of what you could do at this church? God, would you drastically change? Would we think so much bigger than we've ever thought? Would we think things that make us scared because of how big they are and how large the task? God, we love you and we praise you. And we pray. Amen.